1: Because, see, Jesus has now interfered with what they wanted to do. They wanted to raise pigs. They were worldly Jews who had one foot in the world and one foot in Judaism. And Jesus was a threat to their duplicitous lives. I pray Jesus is a threat to our duplicitous lives. I pray that whenever there's something inconsistent in my life, that Jesus points it out, and I pray I don't ask him to leave. I pray that I welcome him to point out those things that are inconsistent, with His Word, in my own life.
0: Sometimes, as you move forward in your life with Christ, He'll point out areas of sin. They may be something you didn't notice, or something you don't really want to give up. But the Holy Spirit will nudge you. Today, Pastor Gary will encourage you to welcome these times as opportunities to change and grow. It may not be easy, and it will likely require sacrifice on your end. But it's worth it. It's a step in the right direction with Jesus, and a chance for you to trust that He has something much greater in store. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark, chapter 4, with today's edition
1: of Cornerstone Connection. The parallel of the birds is something evil. In the first parable of the sower, Jesus compares the birds to Satan. So this is not a good thing. What he's saying here about the mustard seed growing into this monstrosity, what he's really saying here is this, that the kingdom of God will grow into a great thing. However, things will attach themselves to it that are evil and otherwise not normally a part of it. That's what he's saying here. And the kingdom of God has expanded, even in our own day, to wonderful great lengths. But at the same time, it has attracted some birds. It has attracted some things that are perching in its branches that are really not of the kingdom, that are evil. So, you know, in case you aren't aware of some of the things that are going on, I just uh, found two articles that might help you understand some of the things happening in the name of the kingdom of God. I don't know how many of you are recovering Presbyterians. But the, uh, the Presbyterian Church USA a couple of years ago at their General Assembly decided, and this isn't to say that, that Presbyterians aren't part of the kingdom of God, okay? This is simply to say that there are certain facets within the kingdom that will attach themselves to the kingdom that, that really are not of the Lord. And case in point, so at the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church a couple of years ago, they decided that it would be better to strike the language Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's too vague, and it doesn't communicate properly who God is, even though God reveals himself in his word as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they came up with a list, a list of ways to call the Trinity now, okay? Here they are. are you ready for this? Compassionate mother, beloved child, and life-giving womb. That's how we should rename Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Compassionate mother, beloved child, and life-giving womb. Or how about this one? Giver, gift, and giving. Or this one? Rainbow of promise, ark of salvation, and dove of peace. Seriously? How about this? Lover, beloved, and a love, and binds together lover and beloved. I can't even say that without reading it. Overflowing font, living water, flowing river. One from whom, the one through whom, and the one in whom we offer our praise. Rock, cornerstone, and temple. Leave us out of it. It's the Lord. It's the Lord's name. Fire that consumes, sword that divides, and storm that melts mountains. Creator, Savior, Sanctifier. Rock, Redeemer, Friend. King of glory, Prince of peace, Spirit of love. One who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. And here's my favorite. Sun, light, and burning ray. A couple of years ago, a bishop in the Roman Catholic Church, I'm not making up his name, his name is Tiny Muskins, a Roman Catholic bishop in the Netherlands, check this out, has proposed that people of all faiths refer to God as Allah to foster better understanding. Yeah, MSNBC, NBC News picked up the whole story. And this is what uh, Bishop Muskin says, quote, Allah is a very beautiful word for God. Shouldn't we all say that from now on? We will name God Allah. What does God care what we call him? It is our problem, end quote. These are birds in the kingdom. But this is the kind of stuff that is perching in the branches. We go, well, this is just the kingdom. This is all, we're all together. We're not all together. We're not all on the same page. There's a lot of weird stuff out there, evil stuff out there, trying to change God's name from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to Sun, Ray, and burning something. I don't know. This is, this is just bizarre. And to equate the name of God with Allah and God and Allah are not even the same gods, that's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. When you go to Israel along the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim place that commemorates what they believe to be the place where Ishmael was nearly sacrificed, along the outside perimeter of the Dome of the Rock is etched in Arabic from the Quran, Surah 112, verse 3, Allah does not beget, neither is he begotten. Allah does not beget, neither is he begotten. Well, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. These are not the same gods. These are not the same gods. And yet you have a a bishop in the Roman Catholic Church saying, just for the sake of fostering better understanding, we should all begin to call God Allah. Uh, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that has grown into this monstrosity. And it's wonderful how the kingdom is expanding, but along the way it will pick up some birds that will perch in its branches. They're not of it. They don't belong to it. They just pollute it. Jesus says here, With many similar parables, he spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And then verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And then he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, "Who is this?" Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, on a on a pretty day, the Sea of Galilee can look like glass. It's very beautiful and very tranquil. Uh, but this is also a place where storms will arise very suddenly, because the uh, Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater. Body of water on the planet. It is uh, almost 700 feet below sea level. The surface of the Sea of Galilee is almost 700 feet below sea level. And so it's in this basin, and it is surrounded by mountains, some of which are 2,000 feet high. And so what happens is, because it's kind of nestled in this basin, you have this warm air, normally, and over the Golan Heights and from Mount Hermon come these colder winds that can blow down into this basin, and when the cold air collides with the warm air, it can have instant uh, squalls and instant storms. Waves have been recorded on the Sea of Galilee, six, eight, ten feet high. And uh, it, it seems, for those who've been with me, like that could never be, but, but it happens from time to time. And this is one of the occasions. The squall comes up suddenly. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Notice this, he is fully God, but he's fully man. So when he walks a lot, he gets tired. When he uh, perspires, he gets thirsty. When he has gone several days without food, he gets hungry. So he's asleep. He needs his rest. And he's in the stern of the boat. So he's in the back of the boat. He is asleep. Uh, suddenly the squall comes up. Waves are breaking over the boat. And he doesn't wake up. They have to wake him up. I, I just love this picture because when, whenever I begin to feel the overwhelming nature of life or fears or anxieties. Jesus is just never, he's just never worried. He's just resting. Everything's going to be okay. And they have to wake him up and he gets up. He rebukes the wind. They think that he's unconcerned that they're going to drown. Um, <laughs> And so he awakens and he says, quiet, be still. It's literally translated quiet and be muzzled in the Greek. Quiet and be muzzled is what he says to the storm. And then the wind died down. It was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now it seems that they are not only terrified when the storm is raging, but they are also now terrified when the waters are calm. Because even it even adds in verse 41 that they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We can speculate why it is that this scene happened, but if you consider... Psalm 107, it could be that this happened as an opportunity for Jesus to display His divinity to them because Psalm 107 says that this is one of the things that God does. I'll just read it to you. You don't need to turn. Psalm 107, verse 23, others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, His wonderful deeds in the deep. For He spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and He guided them to their desired haven. So it could be here that this is an opportunity for them to, oh yes, Psalm 107, this is God displaying His power. This is Jesus, who is God, displaying His divinity before us. Chapter 5, let's see if we can get through this next um, scene here. Chapter 5, verse 1, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, re- remember, they, they're going from Capernaum to the other side of the lake. So now they're going to the eastern side of the of the Sea of Galilee, to the region of, called Gerasenes. If you have a King James Bible, it says the Gadarenes. It is the uh, tribe of Gad that uh, occupied this region. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now this guy's demon-possessed. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. So notice this, he has this is superhuman strength here, uh, because, no doubt, this demon, or demons, plural, that possess him, give him this ability to, to have this kind of uh, superhuman strength. It says that no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So you have to, you have to picture this guy. He's, when you consider the other gospel accounts of this story, he is naked. He's living among the tombs. He has uh, superhuman strength because he's possessed by demons. He's cutting himself, self-mutilation here. Verse 6, "...when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, "'What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' See, notice how the demons recognize him, but they won't submit to him. Swear to God that you won't torture me, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we, plural, are many. Now, this doesn't really tell us the true identity of the demon or demons, plural, because demons lie, so it could have been one demon who's like, we are a legion, we are many, you know, hear me roar, you know, that kind of a thing. It could have just been one who's bragging and lying, or it could be that there's several demons who are possessing this guy. How, how many demons can possess a person? I, I don't know. How many angels can you get on the head of a pin? I don't know, okay? It's immaterial. The guy's possessed. One demon is one too many, okay? It doesn't matter if he's got many. One is too many. And this demon identifies himself as legion, for we are many, a Roman legion, back in the day, were 6,000 soldiers. Did 6,000 demons possess this guy? I don't know. But verse 10 says, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now Luke's gospel adds in Luke 8.31 that the demons begged Jesus not to throw them into the abyss. The Bible teaches that when angels rebelled, there were a number of angels, it's an undesignated number. But when you look into Revelation chapter 12, it seems to indicate that a third of the angels, however many that represents, rebelled with Lucifer, with Satan, when Satan rebelled against the Lord in heaven. They were then expelled from heaven, and these fallen angels are otherwise now known as demons. And demons can uh, possess people. At the very least, they can oppress people. They can, from without, torment. They can attempt. They are part of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 6. Demons are real, although we can't see them. But these fallen angels, these demons, will seek out hosts to possess. Their main ambition is to bring destruction. You know, why is this guy cutting himself? Because the demons only care about destroying that which God has created. And the pinnacle of God's creation, of course, is the creation of mankind. We are created in the image and likeness of God. Unlike anything else. The plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, it is mankind created in the image and likeness of God. So what the demons want to try to do is to attack and to torment and and to do whatever they can to destroy God's creation. And in particular, humankind created in God's image and likeness. Now, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I do not believe when you look at the totality of Scripture that if, so- that if someone who was born again and has Jesus Christ living in him or her, that person cannot be demon-possessed. I know that Don't send me your emails, okay? There are people who disagree with me about this over the years, and yet they can't point to Scripture So you know, just it's it's conjecture for people to say, yeah, I think Christians can be demon possessed. Not when you look in the Bible, okay? Uh, Because greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. There's no coexistence, okay? Forget the bumper sticker, all right? There's no coexistence. Uh, The Holy Spirit does not share residence with a couple of demons. And so if you're born again and you have the Spirit of God within you, you cannot be possessed. That is to say, you cannot be taken over by a demon. Now, again, they, they can be without, and, and they can do different things to, to um, discourage or tempt or, or to do what they can to attack. There is, there is demonic principalities, and, and again, that's what Ephesians 6 is all about. And that's why we have to put on the full armor of God. And, be, and to resist the fiery darts of the enemy. So there is that reality, okay? But, but don't leave here alarmed like, you know, I, th- I think my neighbor's possessed. He may or may not be, but if you know Christ as your Savior, you cannot be possessed by a demon. So here this guy is possessed by a demon or more than one, and he is, he's been tormented for however many years. Um, he has a family, because at the end of this, Jesus is going to tell him to go to his family. This is somebody's, perhaps, husband, somebody's dad, somebody's son, and this guy is precious to the Lord. And what I love about this story is that Jesus is always on divine assignment, because here he is in Capernaum, and he's ministering to people, and he's teaching parables, and then This is God's divine timetable. We need to get in a boat. We need to go to the other side. And all he's going to do on the other side is he's going to deliver this guy. Now, Matthew's Gospel says there are two demoniacs. It's not a contradiction of Scripture. Mark focuses on the one who mainly does all the talking. Okay, And Jesus is going to go over there and deliver a couple of demon-possessed people. And then he's going to get back in his boat and he's going to leave. He's actually asked to leave the region here. And it's it's kind of uh, odd why he's asked to leave the region. But uh, here these demons... Uh, Beg Jesus, uh, don't, don't send us out of the area. And again, Luke says, don't throw us into the abyss. That the worst of the demons, the worst of the fallen angels, have been kept in the abyss that will only be opened during the period of the tribulation. You can read about it later in the book of Revelation. So the worst of the worst have been kept in the abyss. And these demons are asking Jesus... Don't throw us into the abyss. Don't send us out of the area. We like it here. You know, it's nice. And so we just want to still uh, live in the region. And um, there was a large, verse 11, there was a large herd of pigs feeding on the nearby hillside. Now, we've talked about this in Mark's gospel. But for those of you who weren't here for that, please note, this is still a Jewish region. Okay? But these are Hellenistic Jews. On, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Hellenistic Jews were those who were Greek at heart, but Jewish kind of. And so they loved the ways of the world. We love Greek philosophy. We love Greek culture. We love things about the world. But we're, we're Jewish in name only, and Jews should have no business raising pigs. They're unclean animals. It was against the law, the, the, the Mosaic law. To have pigs. To eat pigs. It's not kosher. So they have here pigs. They're feeding on a nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Which is interesting to note (laughs) that animals can be possessed by demons too. So he gave them permission, verse 13, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, again, if, are there 6,000 co- demons because the legion represents 6,000? There's 2,000 pigs. Is that three demons for every pig? I don't know. It, it, maybe it was just one pig and one pig you know, got startled and they all just kind of ran off the cliff. I don't know. But they all end up dead. They go off this little precipice. There's just only one place around the Sea of Galilee that has this little edge, this ledge that, that it could possibly the story have happened, And they all tumbled to their death. And Jesus has just delivered a guy from demons. At the same time, he's eliminated a livelihood that some Jews shouldn't have had. He's going to kill their pigs. And those tending pigs, here's verse 14, those tending pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? Why weren't they overjoyed? Hey, look, he's normal again. No, they are afraid here. And it says, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Why would you want Jesus to leave your region? He just delivered this guy that nobody can subdue. He's got this superhuman strength, and now all of a sudden he's in his right mind. He's been delivered from these demons. Why would you want Jesus to leave? Maybe there's more that you all could benefit from in the town if Jesus hung around for a few days. But no, they want him to leave because, see, Jesus has now interfered with what they wanted to do. They wanted to raise pigs. They were worldly Jews who had one foot in the world and one foot in Judaism, and Jesus was a threat to their duplicitous lives. I pray Jesus is a threat to our duplicitous lives. I pray that whenever there's something inconsistent in my life, that Jesus points it out, and I pray I don't ask him to leave. I pray that I welcome him to point out those things that are inconsistent with his word in my own life. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the there are ten cities over there on that side of the Jordan. One of them is the Gadarenes. He began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, this this looks a little bit, you know, if you look at it at first glance, it looks a little heartless. Like, why wouldn't Jesus want this guy to come with him? This guy is begging, I want to go with you. I'm in, I mean, I've been delivered. I just want to serve you. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, 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 go, go back to your family. And I think that there is a wonderful explanation of this. You see, probably, it is likely that if you've lived a life like this, there might be a little bit of you that is afraid the demons would come back. And so he says to Jesus, in effect, I just, I still want to be near you. I'm a little afraid this might come back. Can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, it's going to be okay. Once delivered, completely delivered, go home to your family. Tell them what I've done for you. How I've had mercy on you the lord is so gracious to us that when he does his good work in our hearts don't be afraid don't be afraid of going back just go and tell everybody the good things that God has done for you and let your testimony be what strengthens you from the fear of ever going back oh, in ocean. jump in and you find the corner.
0: Towards your new life. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Mark on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can also download our mobile app. Find the On the Go link under the Teachings tab. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, We invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. We'd love to meet you, but if you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our 1145 a.m. service also offers interpreting for those who speak Spanish. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, we'd be honored to talk with you. Send us an email at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for joining us to study the book of Mark. We hope you'll tune in again here on Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul that you've got no place to go, but still you know